Good morning, friends. Um, I know that Mike is funny, that joke. But you guys, there's a confession that he had for a service that he didn't tell all of you that I feel like it's important to let people know. That's not a Mike St. Dennis original. <laughs> Meredith told him that before they started dating, and that's how he knew she was the one. So that's on recording on the internet now. You're welcome, Meredith. I see you. I hear you. I feel you. I just want to set the record straight. Mike is funny. Let the record show. Like, I'm sure it landed great when Meredith said it. It landed great now. Um, but not a Mike St. Dennis original. It's okay. We like Meredith, too. Um, Y'all, welcome. Good morning. Super pumped that you guys are here joining us. Um, my name's Catherine. My name was on the front. I'm the minister to youth and families, or so they tell me. Um, and uh, we have waterfall. It's, you guys, last time I preached was a holiday weekend, Memorial Day. This is a holiday weekend. Come back for Labor Day. You'll get the trifecta. Um, but I am jazzed uh, to be here talking to you guys um, and finishing um, kind of this long, expansive time uh, in my life, the last six weeks. Um, I'm going to be a little vulnerable here because that's appropriate. Um, the last month, month and a half or so, have been a doozy for my family. Um, the hectic craziness of summer schedules, those you may not know, uh, I moonlight during the summer as a swim coach. I actually don't. It's from 4 to 8 every afternoon. But um, I, I'm a swim coach in May and June. Uh, yeah, it's, what's up? Laramore, that was a shout-out. She swims for me. Um, but it's, it's super fun. And it was super easy to do before I had a two-year-old. Um, and now I miss dinner time and bedtime um, throughout the whole summer. But my husband, number one dad, uh, crushing it with uh, the dad-toddler game. But that has added a lot to our family schedule. Uh, John, my husband, is finishing uh, his last couple of chapters in his PhD dissertation. Um, we also decided that this summer would be a great time to potty train because we're stupid. Um, <laughs> It's our first child, you guys. Uh, our dryer broke three weeks ago, uh, and the repairman told me, you should just buy a new one. So you know it's bad when the two repairmen tell you you should just buy a new one. Um, and we've had some pretty heavy loss in my family uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, and it has been a challenging time. Uh, we have, um, my husband and I have laughed with each other and at each other, uh, cried, uh, yelled again with and at <laughs> about all the different things that have been happening over the last couple of weeks. So it is fitting that today I am supposed to be talking to you about patience because I find myself in a time in my life, and of course God in his infinite wisdom has already known this forever, ever, but that's, it, that's an aside, that this is exactly what I need in the midst of our life. Um, and y'all, I could not make this up. Um, so on Thursday, like four days ago, three days ago, um, craziest thing happened. So I sit down, write the sermon. I do think about the sermon for more than three days before I preach it, let the record show. I already said to Stephen, first service, FYI, I'm gonna say this date. Um, but I have the thing mapped out, I'm flipping through all the stories, like what do we wanna talk about, how do we, we wanna go with this? So I sit down, open up my laptop, and the power goes out of my house. 
could not make this up. So um, we live in the very most part of in the perimeter still Decatur that you could possibly get, right? We're like barely inside. Like I can hear 285. Um, and about three blocks from our house is a transformer. And we have, for the youth in the room, not like the movie, that, that's like a thing where power comes from. Um, like Bumblebee doesn't live like in uh, three blocks from my house. Um, anyway, there's a trans this is where I'm at. There's a transformer. I've lived in my house for three years. Every single summer, every single summer without fail, there's a car accident that affects the transformer. Either somebody hits the transformer or they like spin and they hit the thing next to it. One time, two years ago, they hit the, the power pole that fell into the transformer. Anyway, they need, really need to adjust that. There's a strongly worded letter for DeKalb County coming, but it, it blows the power in my neighborhood, which is like across the street from McClendon Elementary. And it's our three streets, literally the three streets. <laughs> and they're like, it's not a lot of people. So we're on, uh, power goes out. Um, and we're on the app, Georgia Power, and it's like estimated time of, <laughs> right? Estimated time of power renewal. Power goes out like 2.30, 2.45, 4, 5, 7, ETA, TBD. It's about 10.30 p.m. on Thursday. The power comes back in our house. So, can you imagine this? I'm sitting in my home office, COVID home office slash spare bedroom slash vacation Bible school decorating central um, without power in July in Georgia. And I'm supposed to come up here in three days time and preach some wisdom to you from the scripture um, about patience and long suffering. And I tell you what, this month and a half has felt like long suffering. But as we lean into these spaces, and I'm thinking and have been and praying through these stories of the Old Testament, which we're going to talk about today, which is kind of cool because Presbyterians don't really preach on the Old Testament, so I'm pretty excited about that. But like flipping through these stories of people in Scripture, in the Old Testament especially, people who've had to navigate hard things and have patience and have been long-suffering. Abraham and Sarah, who we're going to look at today. This guy named Job. There's a whole book about that, right? Joseph, Jeremiah, Esther, Elijah, Jonah, God himself. God says, have patience. Now, the guy that I dated before I met my husband, and this is not bad blood. Somebody asked about that in between services. My husband's very grateful to this man. Um, but the man that I was dating before I met my husband as a middle school principal. Uh, he worked with students for a living, obviously, um, and he would sing this little ditty, this little song, to help kids slow down and have patience. I'm confident that there are more words to this song. As a matter of fact, um, David Dupuy at the end of first service was like, well, there was this 1970s vacation Bible school curriculum where there was a slow turtle who sang about, I don't know if that's where it came from, but the phrase that sticks in my mind is this little have, pay, and as you can imagine, a middle school principal singing this to an aggravated hormonal adolescent person, the more aggravated they get, the slower he goes, right? So it's have, pay, 
Shins. It works out really well, actually. You would think that that would backfire miserably, but it, it's great, right? Um, and <laughs> yeah, kind of thin ice. You got to know your audience, people, right? But it's really interesting how I remember that 12 years later, and I think about that phrase in my head and how it helps to slow down and have patience. We are leaning into week four of our series here called Flourish, and we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lays out in Galatians. Now, week four of a sermon series is a fascinating week because there are certain churches where week four is like, and now that we're at the end of our monthly series, we're going to wrap this up for you. Cool. Um, move on to the next nugget of biblical wisdom. Go team. There are other churches and preachers who will not be named in denominations that will not be stated that they're like, and now that we're done with chapter one, verse one of week four, we're going to really get into what God wants to say. Um, the church that my husband and I were married in, there was a pastor. We went through the book of Revelation and that took like a year and a half. Uh, my understanding was just as little at the beginning as it was at the end. But um, anyway, but again, uh, so this week we're in the middle, and here's the good news at All Souls. We're, we're Presbyterians, so we're like in the middle, right? So we're not like at the beginning of the intro, but we're also not like at the end of everything. But I do think it's important for us, now that we're in the middle, to take a step back and remember why are we talking about this, right? Because it's easy to forget that, um, especially if this is something that is like on your Sunday checklist. And it's summer, we don't really know how much you're retaining. We'll go back. So we're going to jump into scripture first. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis. It's also written on your worship guide. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Shout out to the Tarvins who emailed me about how awesome the New Living Translation is last time. Love it. If you're looking for a Bible that's easily readable, I recommend it. Um, we're going to talk about Abraham and Sarah, and we're just going to take a small little snapshot of their story that's here in chapter 17, and we'll kind of bounce around a little bit more. But my friends, uh, read with me here, starting at verse 1 in Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. It will instead be Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. Jump to verse 17. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground and he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we pray this morning as we look at the scripture and read about what you have in store for us, that you would be gracious and patient with us. Gracious to us as we stumble and fall, looking for meaning and wrestling with the reality of living on this side of heaven. Be patient with us, Lord, as we seek to be patient with ourselves. Amen. 
now we're going to do a little background, right? We have to understand why Paul is sharing the pieces of information that he is in the letter. And the reason why we're going to do this is because if you're anything like me, it's very easy um, to get wrapped up in portions of scripture like Galatians 5 in the fruit of the spirit. Um, and we move to like a checklist mentality, right? Um, and we, we think about, okay, well, I'm a Christian. Okay. What do I do? Right. I need me a checklist. And conveniently, Paul's like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're like, oh, okay, great, great. No, that's, you guys, that's not what God had in mind for this. I'm not saying that's a cop-out, but I'm not not saying that's a cop-out, right? Paul wants to give us what the heart of God is saying, and my spirit tells me that this is not what God has in mind when it comes to human flourishing, God doesn't want us to just have a checklist. He desires for his people to live in his spirit. So we'll go back, have patience, bear with me. So Galatians, Paul is sent out uh, by a church in Antioch to preach the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles, right? To non-Jews, that's what that word means. In the provinces of Asia Minor, it's now Turkey, modern day. Um, People in several towns in this kind of region of Galatia had responded to his preaching, right? They had become Christians, as we know it now. They become believers in Jesus as Lord, the one who was promised by God in the Old Testament. They didn't know that it was the Old Testament because they didn't have a New Testament. So it was just the scriptures, right? So Paul is clearly teaching them. He's teaching them about the God of Israel. He's teaching them about God had made this great promise to Abraham um, and God and that promise that we read about here said that your descendants are going to be all on the earth and they're going to find blessing. And we know that Paul taught people about this because he refers to them all of the time, <laughs> right? He goes back and he's like, you remember when I taught you this? Do you remember when I taught you this? Um, because he wanted to assure that these Galatian believers knew what it meant to be putting their faith in Jesus, the Messiah. He, he wanted them to know that they had, in fact, become a part of God's people. Do you remember the Beloved Community series that we did a few weeks back where we talked about becoming a covenant community and living in different ways according to the world around you? Paul was insistent that these Galatians, these people in the new church, were going to know that they were part of that beautiful, beloved, unique community set apart. Now, they're also children of Abraham right? They're not going to like convert and become Jews. They're not culturally Jewish, but by becoming children of God, they're being adopted into God's family by God's grace through faith alone in Christ Jesus, the Messiah. So they are both Gentiles and now they're also part of God's covenant people. You are among the spiritual seed of Abraham. Essentially, Paul tells them if you're in Christ and you're in Abraham and God's promises that you know from scripture are for you. And he says this, in Galatians 3, look with me here. He says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now you belong to Christ, and you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise of Abraham belongs to you. So this is what Paul taught them. This is what he reminds them of in this letter. <clears throat> and this is great news. 
similarly to these are the things that our churches have taught us. And that's what I love about Paul. I've said this again. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'll say it a hundred thousand times. The people that Paul preaches to are like us. They're really not that different (laughs) because what happens to the Galatians also happens to us, right? So Paul brings these Galatians to faith. They learn about who they are in Christ Jesus. They, they have their hearts and their lives converted. And then Paul leaves to go like plant the other churches, right? Write all the letters to all the other people. Um, And then different folks come into Galatia, right? They come into these spaces and they have a different message than what Paul said. Not necessarily like deeply, like nefariously intended messages, right? They're not bad people. They're, they're, they're Jews like Paul was, right? They were probably also believers in Jesus, but unlike Paul, these new messengers came through and they, they didn't think that all you needed was to put your faith in Jesus, right? They said, no, if you want the blessings and the promises that God has given to Abraham, if you want to be part of this covenant community, then you need to follow things that are traditionally Jewish in nature, right? You need to have the men circumcised. You need to follow the Torah laws, like all of Abraham and all of his descendants had. And so these other teachers are trying to persuade these new believers, these Galatians, that like in addition to your faith in Jesus, there's also this other stuff, right? It's Jesus plus. And Paul reacts quite strongly to this. Paul says, no, 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 no. And we see that in the first four chapters of this letter, right? Paul continues to insist to these people that Jesus Christ is all that they need. Our salvation comes through faith in God's promise, not because of the ritual keeping of any law. Uh, The law given by Moses had its right and proper function for the Old Testament people in Israel in the era before Jesus. Yes, absolutely. And now Jesus has come and he has opened the doorway for people of any nation to experience the blessing of Abraham through faith in the Messiah, Jesus. So those who trust in Christ are freed from the obligation to live under this Old Testament law. Rather, they should live their lives in freedom, right? Living for God with Christ in them and walking by the Spirit. And this is how the flourishing of God's people is to come about. Now we get to the fruits of the Spirit because Paul is also clear to say, you can't live in the law, but also you can't just go YOLO. For your more seasoned members who may be watching or listening right now, that means you only live once. Do what you want. Paul's like, no, also don't do that, guys. Right? You're not under the law, but also you're not free to just do whatever you want. Right? Paul shows us the better way to live our life, the Christian way, the way of the Spirit of God through Christ himself. Right? The Spirit has come down as the manifestation of God himself until the second coming of Jesus. Right? We see God in the Creator. We see God in Jesus, the Son who has died. He's risen again. And we get the Holy Spirit who's going to be here in, through, with, and among us until the coming of Jesus. And, and those things, those right virtues for living as a Christian, those are the things we know of as the fruit of the Spirit. Those are virtues that Jesus longs to develop in the life of a Christian. And these things are central to what it means to be a person in Christ. These are not things that immediately come like you're like, oh, Christian, great, now I'm super joyful. No, if you've been a Christian for longer than 15 seconds, you know that those things don't just automatically come to us. 
but instead these are both the current state of our hearts but also the moving towards action that we have laid out for us. Have patience. So let's look at the fruit basket. Love, joy, peace. These first three things, very spiritual, very heaven, very like low-key Sunday afternoon. And then we get to patience. And that's like 285 on Tuesday morning after a three-day holiday weekend, right? It like hits you. Um, how do we cope with that, right? How do we do patience? Um, patience is uh, it's a tough word. In the New Testament, there are two different Greek words that patience is, we just have one patience because English falls a little bit short. Um, but the two kind of words that they use, uh, one translates to forbearance. I don't use this word in my regular life unless it has to do with a loan. Um, so when I was in seminary and they were like forbearance, I was like, I don't know what that means. But forbearance is basically the ability to put up with the weaknesses of others, believers and non-believers, and showing patience, forbearance, towards them without getting quickly irritated or angry enough to fight back. We'll just let that one sit for a minute. The other word for patience in the Greek translates to long-suffering. It doesn't necessarily mean that you suffer the same thing particularly for a long amount of time, although it could Right, but it demands strength and stamina, and it depends on being able to exercise control over our reactions to others, regardless of what opposition and suffering may come our way. Neither of these definitions are easy, right? And it doesn't come naturally to us in our human nature, and that's why we need the Spirit of God interceding in our lives to help us grow. So let's go back to our friend Abraham. Um, if you grew up in the church or you've been around, um, you know a little bit about Abraham. And chances are that there are some aspects of Abraham's story that you can relate to. Hopefully there's a lot you can't relate to, like being called upon by the Lord to sacrifice your child. But there might be portions of this that you can relate to. There's one for me in particular um, with Abraham's waiting and his impatience that I'm like, oh, that's me. Um, so Abraham's story that we read here in Genesis 17 become, begins a, a couple of chapters before, right? In chapter 12, um, God first makes these promises of what his call is and what his purpose is to Abram, right? Abraham, at this point, he has a different name, Abram. He has no offspring. Chapter 12, God says, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is my promise. This is my covenant to you. Fast forward to chapter 17, what we just read. And we see Abraham hearing these same promises of God again because they haven't yet been fulfilled. And I love this part, verse 17. Abraham legitimately laughs out loud. He LOLs, right? And God's like, don't worry, I'm going to make this promise true. And in my head, I'm thinking like Abraham's like, okay, that's cute, God, that's cute. Right? Um, and he literally like throws himself on the ground. Like he is ROFLing, right? These are acronyms. I'm trying, the youth are upstairs today, guys. I'm doing my best, right? And he, 
he laughs to himself in complete disbelief. Why does Abraham have this reaction? If we're just looking at chapter 17, it makes no sense. But if we look at 12 and 17, it makes a lot of sense. And I'll tell you why. Just a few chapters in the Bible, a few little pages. 25 years time passed between chapter 12 and chapter 17. 25 years, right? So like Abraham is still open to hearing the calling of God. But if I'm Abraham, I'm like, oh, that's cute. You said that a minute ago too, God, and still here. <laughs> okay. And this is where Abraham, uh, I, love, I love that Abraham is continuing. He doesn't blow off God. He doesn't deny God, right? He continues in his faithfulness towards pursuing him um, because he recognizes in some sort of like supernatural wisdom that like, this is not on my time frame anymore. Like this is on God's time frame, And that's a whole other sermon for how annoying God's time frame can be sometimes. Can I get an amen? But um, let's talk about, let's talk about the patience, right? Maybe I'll talk about that in Labor Day. I don't know, okay. <laughs> Abraham, I'm making, I, it, I don't know if I'm scheduled for Labor Day yet. Um, so here's the good news about this call uh, in Genesis 12, right? Abraham receives this call, and this is where God says, I'm going to change your name. This is what you're going to be. Anybody know how old Abraham is in Genesis 12? 75. So here's the good news. If you're like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, you're in good company. Abraham didn't get that call until he was 75 years old, right? And then God gives him that call, and do we remember how much time passes until this is fulfilled? 25 years so he is 100 when Isaac is born. Sarah is 90. There's a whole slew of things that I have to think about and say about that in addition, whatever. But this is 25 years of Abraham being patient and waiting. Uh, but also feeling a little human here. And this is the part that I can relate to with Abraham, right? So Abraham decides, I don't know how long Abraham decides between this, but like I imagine sometime in this 25-year span, Abraham's like, okay, God, um, love the promise. Great. Um, hadn't happened yet. Uh, let me kind of maybe do something on my own, right? I'm going to take this into my own hands. Because maybe the intention for God's promise was that I am supposed to do something about this. I envision Abraham being like, I don't know if that's true, but I don't know if it's not true. Let's try it, right? So um, Abraham and his wife decide that they need to maybe like do something to get this perpetuation of generations and nations coming. So um, Sarah provides her slave, her, her maidservant, uh, Hagar, to provide Abraham with a child and produce this next generation. And we find out that the human plan, shocker, is not what God's plan was. Right? Not necessarily the way that God had that in mind, but Abraham and Sarah's actions here kind of open up our eyes to the very real piece, this human piece of what it means like to have patience. Because we can get up here and we can be like, have patience. People, Job was patient. Yeah, Job, that, Job also was real mad and frustrated and angry and sad and acknowledged how crummy his situation was. So for Paul writing to the Galatians, and for Abraham and Sarah with this direction from God, the word for patience here gets sticky because it's patience um, with people, not just patience in circumstances, right? And patience in respect to people, 
is a little bit trickier than patience in respect to circumstances. At least it is for me, right? I can't make other people change. Only God can do that. So then it, it begins to boil down for us the question of how do we trust that God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do, right? And how do we, how do we know that, right? Do we trust God? Can we trust God? How are we supposed to know that God's going to do what he says he's going to do? And y'all, we know that because of the character of God himself. In Exodus 34, God describes himself this way. Then the Lord came down on a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Right, And this sentiment of God being slow to anger, that's that word of long-suffering and that patience. It's echoed again in Numbers 14 and in Psalm 103 and in Nahum 1 and in the liturgy that Izzy read earlier. Over, over, over again in Jonah, much to Jonah's deep chagrin, right? God reveals himself throughout the scriptures as slow to anger and patient for his people, even when judgment on them is very clearly deserved. Patience, society tells us, has a lot to do with how much we're able to bear, how much we are able to carry, right? That's why when we run out of patience, we say things like, I just can't bear it anymore, right? I just can't do it anymore. I imagine that that is the feeling that Sarah had when she decided to bring Hagar into that marriage relationship with her husband, right? Um, Sarah is personally feeling the burden of not being able to provide offspring for her husband, and it's clearly not Abraham because he has a kid with Hagar. So it's clearly her womb that is closed. And I imagine her feeling the weight of this burden and Abraham saying, well, God told us he's going to provide and her being like, I can't do this anymore. I can't bear this anymore. Gotta do something. But here's the good news, friends. God does not lose the burden, the, the ability to, to carry that burden. He, he does not lose the ability to bear the burden of our sin. Uh, when we read in scripture that God is being patient, it's because he is carrying the heavy load of human sin, right? One of the Hebrew words that translates to forgive literally means to bear, right? To carry. So when God is patient, when God forgives, it is only because God chooses to carry our sins on himself and to bear the weight and the cost of them on his own shoulders as Jesus Christ on the cross. So if we're here in Genesis and we fast forward from chapter 17 to just a few chapters in Genesis 21, we see that God does indeed keep his promise. And he allows Sarah to have a son, Isaac, and Abraham is overjoyed because he has waited a long time for this. And the birth of Isaac reminds Abraham that God keeps his promises in his own way and on his time frame. In spite of their humanness, in spite of their failures, in spite of their decision to take matters into their own hands, Abraham and Sarah believed in the promises of God. And this is good news for us because we will have failures while we are called to be patient. If you are a human person, you will do this. If you have not already done this today. 
19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon says this about patience. We are, most of us, deficient in this excellent grace. And because of it, we have missed most privileges and have wasted many opportunities in which we might have honored God, might have commended religion, and might have been exceedingly profited in our own souls. I think about the things in my life that I may have missed by not being patient. Patient with circumstances, patient with other people, patient with myself. I wonder what kind of missed opportunities there were to honor God or to allow my soul to flourish or how I stood back and put a wall and prevented the fruit of patience from developing in my life. But the good news is that I don't have to live in that because Jesus died and we are given new life and life to flourish, life abundant. Um, if you've been following along with our community guide or checking us out on the you'll see the images that we're using for this sermon series are those of a vineyard. Uh, and that's not by accident or because our communications director is creative and absolutely the best out there. Shout out to Tara Berry, who's in the production room, embarrassed that I just said that. Um, but it's because grapevines, trees, um, bearing fruit is not just this biblical representation of how God desires for us to flourish, um, even sometimes after intense pruning. Um, but it's because they represent so much of the waiting that is required through the spirit and the fruit of patience. Um, does anybody know how long it takes for a grapevine to produce fruit? Good. So if you were to go to Pike's Nursery right now, let's assume they sell grapevines. I don't actually know. I didn't do that research. I don't know if grapes grow in Georgia. There's something that starts with an M. It doesn't matter. I'm not from the South. So let's assume that you go to the nursery and they have a grape bush, tree, vine, plant, right? Um, I'll tell you what it is. So the thing that you buy to start planting is um, what they call a dormant plant. So it has no leaves on it. It has no fruit on it. It looks like a dead stick, okay? Um, and it, according to Google, uh, and it's going to be in a gallon bucket, and it's going to be between one and three years old. If you cut a grape plant, I don't know how long it would take if you just like put a grape in the ground from a seed. I don't know. But uh, if you just have like a grape plant and you cut it before it's mature to this phase where it can be dormant, it's going to die, right? So you've got one to three years. You buy this plant, this grape vine, not yet a vine. Uh, you, you plant it in your vineyard because you have one of those because you're interested in purchasing a grape plant. Um, and it will not automatically produce fruit, <laughs> right? It's not like one of those situations where you're like, cool, so next week, grapes. Um, you, you plant it and then it can take one to three years to kind of develop in its space, right? Um, the root structure has to grow to a certain depth before any fruit can be produced. There has to be a certain number and a certain strength to the branches before any fruit can be produced. So most horticultural experts say, do not expect to see any grapes 
until at least the third year after planting. So you're in like year four to six at this point, right? And then after that third year, that first harvest, it can take up to six years for grapevines to begin producing a consistent crop of grapes. That's a long time. Why does a grapevine bear fruit? There's not a law in nature that says that it must, but simply because of the life within it, because of its identity as a vine. The life that rises up from the soil, the water that feeds the deep roots, that flows, that life that flows through every branch and every twig. A vine does not bear fruit by keeping the laws of nature, but simply because it is a living vine. Being and doing what a vine does, because it is alive. So what Paul is saying with this list of qualities that we now know is the fruit of the Spirit is this, that these are the qualities that God himself will produce in a person's everyday, ordinary human life because the life of God is identified and at work within them. The life of God by his spirit will bear the fruit and the vine of a person's life simply because that is what God is like. And that is what God produces. The spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, they are one and the same will make the qualities of the life of Christ grow in a person's life so that they become more and more and more like Jesus, which is God's desire for all of his children. Amen.